0: Chart Chat is a member of the Teej.fm network from WTJU Radio. Find out more at Teej.fm. That's T-E-E-J dot F-M. This is Tanner Green, and this is a pilot episode of what might become a recurring miniseries of Chart Chat. So, you know, our tagline is your weekly guide to the past week of pop singles hitting the US and UK charts. And since the start of the podcast, as I've mentioned before, I eventually had hopes to start doing historical episodes that took a look at chart debuts of weeks past. And this is my first stab, we'll call it a 1.0, of what that might look like. And while a lot of the structure is gonna be similar to a regular episode of Chart Chat, I'm still gonna go through all the debuts for the week at the top of the episode, still gonna play clips and whatnot. The fact that this is a historical episode lets me do a little more contextualizing of artists' careers both before and after the particular hit in question. So basically my approach here I took a random date generator, set the start date at the start of the Hot 100 back in 1958, set the present as the end date, and generated a random date to look at. And I kind of like that approach. I'm going to keep it up, keep things fresh. And the winds of fate took me, and by extension, whoever it is that's listening to this, to 1971, took us to the week of November 27th, late 1971. And there are gonna be some names here that you will definitely recognize, I'm assuming, and hopefully some that you don't. And if I'm particularly lucky, some of the names I'm gonna talk about are the ones that you're not familiar with because for these historical episodes, I'm hoping to talk about artists that don't often get their due or often get their due in a very limited sense without that discussion sort of filtering out to the broader pop culture discussion. So, running through the debuts, we start at number 100 where the Doors, After the Death of Jim Morrison debut with Tightrope Ride. Right above that at number 99, we have Buffy St. Marie with I'm Gonna Be a Country Girl Again. Jackie Wilson debuts right above that with his song Love is Funny That Way. At number 94, you've got Sour Sweet by the Guess Who. Truckin' by the Grateful Dead debuts at number 91. At number 87, you've got the famous Coca-Cola ad song I'd Like to Teach the World to Sing in Perfect Harmony by the Hillside Singers. Jerry Lee Lewis's rendition of Me and Bobby McGee debuts at number 81. Right above that at number 80, we've got Drowning in the Sea of Love by Joe Simon. Tommy James debuts at number 78 with Nothing to Hide. Right above that, we've got Rare Earth with the song Hey Big Brother. And right above that, at number 76, there's Clean Up Woman by Betty Wright. At number 70, you've got Donnie Osmond with a double-sided single. You've got Hey Girl, backed with I Knew You When, sometimes Back in the Way Back When. When you had 45 RPM singles, sometimes Billboard would note that both sides of that single were receiving radio play, and this is one of those cases. So again, Hey Girl, I Knew You Win. Both charting this week, Donny Osmond, number 70, and the highest debut of the week, the week dated November 27th, 1971, it's Dom McLean, American Pie, parts one and two. And the first song I want to talk about is by Buffy St. Marie, debuting at number 99 this week. I'm going to be a country girl again and as always we're going to start with a little bit of background Buffy St. Marie is a renowned musician and activist coming out of the 1960s Greenwich folk scene alongside artists like your Joni Mitchells, your Joan Baez's and most of the times when St. Marie comes up in pop music history the discussions place her in that scene and emphasize that early career style and from the very beginning of her career St. Marie dedicated uh, herself to a sort of variety of social issues, chief among them advocating for Native American rights, since she herself was born on a Cree reservation in Canada. And you see that persistent concern throughout the decade. Back when I was doing research for this episode, I watched a 2015 interview with Buffy St. Marie by the CBC about Canada's long history of residential schools that would basically seek to stamp out Native American cultures from the students forced to live there. So again, issues that have been at the heart of a lot of what St. Marie does, did, and continues to do over the decades long career that she's carved out for herself. And for an early example of that, St. Marie's 1964 debut album, It's My Way, opens with the song Now That the Buffalo's Gone, which offers this scathing critique of the U.S. treatment of Native Americans past and present ultimately pointing out that treaties and agreements are still being broken today. It's not an issue that can be easily relegated to the past.
1: The The loser we know pays the cost. But even when Germany... about uncle sam or are you still taking our lands a treaty forever george washington signed he did dear lady he did dear man and the treaty's being broken by kim's or damn and what will you do for these
0: wives? possibly the most striking feature of saint marie's singing is her very brassy vibrato. It's extremely upfront, very forceful, and it's all the more forceful because it's set against that really simple backdrop of her acoustic guitar. And what I think is really impressive about this song, musically speaking, is Saint Marie's sense of pacing. If you listen to the entire track, the opening verses start more gently and more mellow, and as the track goes on she grows more and more assertive and justifiably indignant and upset. And it's even more powerful with that sort of gradual increase than it would be if she had started singing like that from the start of the song and kept up that intensity the whole way through there's a real ease into that that comes off really well as a song and as i mentioned in the decades since saint marie's mid-60s emergence she's continued to make music in this vein and pursue various activist causes outside the context of music which in the process earned her lengthy cia and fbi files earned a radio blacklisting at the behest of both presidents lyndon b johnson and richard nixon but at the same time that all of this is going on saint marie has a pretty impressive musical diversity that is sometimes just straight up ignored sometimes it's praised in hindsight and regardless of how people retroactively receive it it's usually greeted with a lukewarm response on first release For example, back in 1969 she released her album Illuminations, which featured her first of many extended engagements with cutting-edge technology even as late as the 1980s she was making compositions with an Apple II computer and has kept up with similar advances in technology since then. Illuminations features these vocal and guitar manipulations that are courtesy of a Buchla synthesizer and purportedly This is actually the very first vocal album released in quadraphonic format. So instead of mono, where you have one channel of audio, or stereo, where you have two left and right channels of audio, you've got four channels of audio. And this album, Illuminations, enjoys a good deal of acclaim now for its experimentation, its uh, bold embrace of a new audio format. But at the time, Illuminations was a total commercial failure. Never charted on the Billboard 200, the main album's chart, And it lost uh, St. Marie's record label, Vanguard, a good deal of money. But for a sort of brief excerpt from Illuminations, we're going to listen to the opening track, God is Alive, Magic is Afoot.
1: God is alive. Magic is a foot. God is alive. Magic is a foot. God is a foot. Magic is alive. Alive is a foot. Magic never dies God never sickened. Many poor men lied. Many sick men lied. Magic never weakened. Magic never hid. Magic always ruled. God is afoot, God never dies.
0: Other facets of St. Marie's artistry are yet to receive a critical reevaluation like Illuminations enjoyed. Perhaps unsurprisingly, one of those facets includes her 1968 country album, I'm Gonna Be a Country Girl Again. That year, country icon Chet Atkins invited St. Marie to Nashville to record, and even though the terms of Atkins' RCA contract prevented an official production credit, He produced it, and the result was St. Marie's fifth studio album. And, as the structure of this episode is implying, and as you might be able to imagine, I'm Gonna Be a Country Girl Again received a fairly predictable backlash when it came out. It only hit number 171 on the main album's chart, and didn't climb much higher than its debut this week at number 99. However, when that title track, I'm Gonna Be a Country Girl Again, When that was re-released as a single in September 1971, which we're seeing here in the U.S., uh, it peaked at number 34 in the U.K., so a really substantial chart showing over there. But as I mentioned, radio stations, perhaps, are very likely under the pressure of the aforementioned blacklisting going on, didn't take to the song, and I'm gonna be a country girl again. The song slid off the Hot 100 altogether in just three short weeks. ¶¶
1: Rain is falling lightly on the buildings and the cars. I've said goodbye to city friends, department stores and bars. The lights.
0: Despite the commercial underperformance guaranteed by that government intrusion that I mentioned, I think Country Girl has a lot to offer as a song. St. Marie's lyrics do a really good job evoking a sense of joy at escaping the city for an acre of green, and her vocals maintain that same nuance that I talked about earlier that we saw at the beginning of her career. The verses start really sweetly, very mellow, very pleasing, and then with each successive chorus, her triumphant vibrato emerges more and more noticeably, and it's a radically different paradigm, musically speaking, than Now That the Buffalo's Gone, or Illuminations. But you still have many of those same talents in St. Marie's singing and her songwriting that are on full display here. After the release of the song as a single later in the 1970s, St. Marie made a number of appearances on Sesame Street. She was actually a regular for five years or so. And in 1978, she actually performed I'm Gonna Be a Country Girl Again on the show. And that performance opens with a incredibly charming conversation between her, a cow, and a pig, and while time prevents me from playing the sections where those animals begin to harmonize or exchange oinks with Saint Marie, she really gets into it, it's really fun, but the opening conversation that she has with those muppet animals provides a really excellent window into the song's sort of ethos. Now, but I think that's Buffy St. Marie, the singer. Oh, she's probably in the city doing a recording at a studio or something. Oh, I must talk to her. Well,
1: sometimes I just get so blown out here in the city. There's Cody pulling on me, there's traffic out the window, there's noise all over the place. Sometimes all I want to do is sit here and play a song, play my guitar and think about the country.
0: You, you don't like the city?
1: No, I'm seeing things. You're a cow.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's a pig. Her name's Patty.
1: You are a pig.
0: You don't like the city?
1: Well, well, no, I do like the city, but I just get tired of the city. But maybe you wouldn't understand. You would understand what I mean. Mm -hmm. You're from the country, too, I bet, Mm -hmm. originally. I'm just going to sing a song here with my guitar about the country, about about I'm going to be a country girl again, but you, you wouldn't know it.
0: Know it? I've lived it.
1: Would you like to join in with me? Oh,
0: yes, indeed. Oh, please. You, too? You know it, too? Oh, well, she doesn't know it, but she'll oink along. Oh, that's wonderful. Since the 1970s saint marie has continued work as i've sort of continually mentioned a couple years ago she toured with morrissey of all people which was kind of fascinating and also important to note in 1982 she won the academy award for best original song she co-wrote up where we belong which was performed by joe cocker and jennifer warns and showed up in the film an officer and a gentleman which actually that song hit number one that same year in 1982 the- Next up, moving on from Buffy St. Marie, we're going to talk about a pair of soul singers who, in the broader pop music discussion beyond genre fans, don't quite have the same name recognition today as someone like a Marvin Gaye, but they were still key players in early 1970s soul, and part of that is why you do see those names that we're going to talk about crop up in soul fan discourse. First up, Betty Wright. Wright is an artist from Miami whose career started at the age of only two years old. She was part of her family's gospel group Echoes of Joy. And then in 1968, a few years after the group disbanded, Wright released her debut album My First Time Around, and she was only 14 at that time. That album contained Wright's first hit single, Girls Can't Do What The Guys Do, which hit number 33 on the Hot 100 and number 15 on the R&B chart. years after Girls Can't Do, Wright released what would be the biggest single of her career, and if listeners are familiar with Betty Wright's name, it's very likely for this song, which hit the charts in late November of 1971, this week that we're looking at, that's Clean Up Woman, that would go on to not only peak at number two on the R&B charts, but climb all the way up to number six on the Hot 100, eventually going gold in the process. And before we listen to a clip, I want to really quickly flag for your attention the intro to the song. We're gonna start the clip with the intro at the very beginning and I want you to pay special attention to it because I think it's a key part of why the song works so well. So once again this is Betty Wright and her number six eventual Hot 100 hit, Clean Up Woman. Thank you. first 15 seconds of the song you have a series of guitar chords and then a second more melodic guitar line and then bass and horn lines they all enter and they all interlock one after another and it's this really quick effective way to establish momentum before the drums or the vocals even enter and so when a drum fill does come in to announce Wright's entry the snare tone has this really broad thwack That is particularly good at propelling all of that pent-up momentum forward right start singing and then you're just rolling the song just keeps going keeps going all that momentum that you built up in say 16 seconds or so is put to use basically and in keeping with all this despite her youth right has a much more assertive tone than she did a few years back on girls can't do and i'm sort of taken with how matter-of-factly she lays out the details of her partner's romantic betrayal. There's not a lot of self-pitying or accusation even going on. It's very matter-of-fact. There's a frustration there, but it's not, this isn't even a song condemning the cleanup Woman. It's just stating what happened. And Wright's success with Cleanup Woman came at one of those times in chart history that we see again and again where black artists are routinely quote-unquote crossing over to the pop charts. In january 1972 so not even two months after this week that we're looking at in chart history billboard actually ran a special issue on the subject titled the soul emergence in one of the articles in that issue titled oh happy day everybody's listening to soul music don ovens notes that for the week ending january 8th of that year half of the top 20 songs in the country were soul tracks And in another article in that same issue, Earl Page focuses specifically on jukeboxes, commenting with a good deal of surprise on the success of soul singles in machines located in both black and white neighborhoods. Part of Page's discussion centers on the two main title strip printing companies for the jukebox machines, and Page notes that one of them, Star Title, actually ceased the standard practice of separating soul records from their pop counterparts altogether. Because there were so many songs crossing over, it wasn't even worth it for them to separate them anymore. And their competitor, Sterling Title, the other main player in that business, they continued to color code their singles, red for pop, blue for soul. Sterling president Dick Steinberg noted that a growing number of discs received both of those colors, designating a song with some sort of crossover potential or presence. Listeners might be familiar with one of the tracks that Steinberg mentions as receiving this dual pop soul crossover designation listeners might have heard either the original and or mc hammer's sort of interpretation of it decades down the line that's the shylights number three hot 100 smash have you seen her oh, i see her face everywhere I go. on the
2: street and even at the picture show have you seen her tell me have you seen her
0: And Steinberg mentions another track that received both red and blue, both pop and soul designations on jukeboxes, which is the last chart debut we're going to discuss this week Joe Simon, Drowning in the Sea of Love. Joe Simon was born in Louisiana in 1943, and like Betty Wright, sang gospel as a child, even though he didn't start quite as early as Wright did. After his family moved to California, Simon began singing with the Golden West Singers, following in the footsteps of famous soul pioneer Sam Cooke, who made this move a couple years earlier. The singers turned away from gospel to secular material, and then by 1964, Simon was landing hits on his own away from the group. And after that, over the course of the 1960s, Simon quickly became a reliable presence on the R&B chart, racking up eight top 20 hits over the course of the decade. The biggest of those hits, The Choken Kind, not only topped the R&B chart, it reached number 13 on the Hot 100 back in May of 1969.
2: I meant to love you Didn't you know it, babe? Didn't you know it? Why couldn't you be content With the love I gave? Oh, yeah I gave you my heart but you wanted my mind Oh, yeah Your love Scared me to death, girl All is something choking kind That's all it is You can kill a man With a bottle of poison and a knife I know you can't Better hurt him more
0: after a whopping nine more top 20 R&B hits, Simon landed another major crossover hit when Drowning in the Sea of Love, the song that debuted this week in 1971, eventually went number three on the R&B chart and an even more impressive number 11 on the Hot 100, eventually becoming Simon's second gold certified single. I really appreciate how the plush orchestration and Simon's throaty vocal tone play off of each other. The sort of famous Philadelphia Soul producers Kenny Gamble and Leon Huff produced this particular track, lent all the trappings that you would expect, a lot of keys, some strings. And true to the song's title, Drowning in the Sea of Love, Joe Simon here doesn't really cut through the strings. He gets tangled up in them, which lends a further sense of drama that his vocal tone already suggests and is all very a piece of the lyrics sort of life or death depiction of love after both of these peaks drowning in the sea of love and Clean Up woman Joe Simon and Betty Wright would each land a number of smaller hits over the course of the mid 70s and weirdly enough each would also chart a song at number eight on the hot 100 for Joe Simon that song was get down get down on the floor which peaked in June of 1975 And for Betty Wright, that song was her collaboration with Peter Brown, titled Dance With Me, which peaked in July of 1978. of these songs you see a sad but not entirely uncommon occurrence of artists helping to establish the template of the style that would become disco and yet those artists also not really weathering the commercial and industry changes that came with the late 70s ascendance of disco that rise reduced the top level commercial presence of a lot of established soul artists and so right nor simon were any different But they didn't go away completely, they each found success on their own terms. Since the 1980s, Wright periodically appears with hits on the R&B chart, she's collaborated with a variety of hip-hop and R&B musicians over the course of the decade. And her most recent appearance on the R&B chart is her sensational 2016 feature alongside Kendrick Lamar and Big Sean on the DJ Khaled track, Holy Key. Joe Simon, meanwhile, eventually returned to the gospel music of his youth. He started a new career as a preacher, and then eventually, in 1998, released an album of gospel music titled This Story Must Be Told.
2: Oh, this may be the last order to call This may be the last time around Oh, this may be the last order to call before the sun goes down. Oh, you are from the Jesus. Come to Jesus. Oh, you are from the Jesus right now. Oh, you are from the Jesus. You are from the Jesus right now.
0: And that brings us to a close two stories here. You've got Buffy St. Marie and her sort of underappreciated musical diversity. And then you've got Joe Simon and Betty Wright documenting one among many instances of black musicians, quote unquote, crossing over to the main pop charts. In truth, I would not be surprised if that is a theme that continues to show up on future historical episodes. But in the meantime, thanks for listening. Shoot me any feedback you might have on this. I'm super interested to hear what people think. I'm hoping to do this somewhat regularly. It might be overly ambitious, but having one release every other week might be nice. I'm thinking maybe every other Friday. But again, still kind of figuring things out, particularly as this school semester is coming to a close. As always, in the show notes, I'm going to put a playlist that combines all of the chart debuts from this week. Again, November 27th, 1971. Check that out. Listen to some of the songs. Would love to hear what you think about any and all of those songs. Get in touch with us via email at chartchatcast at gmail.com. Check us out on Twitter and Instagram at chartchatcast. Review us, rate us, all that good stuff. We love the feedback. We're trying to continually grow this thing in new directions, in odd directions. Thanks to employees at Coronation Media for designing our cover art and writing our intro theme. Thanks to Tiege.fm for having us on the network. And thank you again for listening to Chart Chat. I'm Tanner Green, and we'll catch you, well, sometime in the future, presumably on a main episode. Okay, thanks. Okay, bye.